Wings for Breakfast is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks the best prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. With GameTime, you can buy your tickets in just two taps, and man, I really wish that they had that for everything. Like, it's getting to be Christmas shopping time of year, and I wish that every all of my shopping for my sisters, my cousins, my aunts and uncles, I wish I could do all of it with just two taps. Maybe I should just get them all tickets with GameTime. They do do sports, music, theater, everything. GameTime app's simple, quick, easy to navigate, so download the GameTime app in Google Play or the App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. Everybody and welcome to a special episode of Wings for Breakfast. Today we are doing our all-decade team for the Red Wings for the 2010s as we creep toward the final days of 2019 here. Uh, and Prashant and I, Prashant Iyer, my, my fantastic co-host, wanted to get into the all-decade team and, and figure out who really tells the story of the decade, who was the best of the decade. Prashant, how you doing? Doing pretty well, Max. What about yourself? I'm hanging in there. It's, uh, it's late November, so starting to really feel the the hurt up here in Detroit. I'm sure it's a little bit better down there in Raleigh. Not going to lie. It was, uh, we've gotten close to freezing or below freezing, so it's been even on the chillier side for us than usual. Damn. Well, hopefully we have something that'll warm up everybody's day here today with the All-Decade team. Uh, it hasn't always been the most exciting decade for the Red Wings, but I think my big takeaway going through as we were preparing for the show, is that there's still some just unbelievable Hall of Fame names on this all-decade team for the Red Wings that does kind of, you know, puts things in perspective a little bit, that even though things have seemed a little bit uh, dreary hockey-wise up here, it, the, the 2010s have really not, all things considered, been such a bad decade in Detroit. Yeah, I mean, I think as you're thinking about the team, you're kind of clouded by the last two, three years, and then particularly the current season right now, where... The Wings have had a really rough stretch. But, I mean, if you flash back, you're still talking about playoffs in more than half of the decade. And, like you said, a number of really generational, almost Hall of Fame talent uh, that suited up for the Wings this decade. So there's still a lot of bright spots, although the last few years have been um, a steep descent into darkness, if you will. We will uh, get to the all-decade team in just a second here, but I do want to ask you a couple of uh spontaneous ones that I didn't even tell you about before we started recording. Which team this decade for the Red Wings have you thought has been the best team? Ooh, that's a that's a tricky one. I want to say it would be the, off the top of my head, I'm going to say the 2010-2011 Red Wings. Okay. Um, so that team, I think, statistically... They looked outstanding. If I'm rem- and I'm doing this off the top of my head, I've got no notes here to to support this. But if I'm remembering correctly, that team was bona fide. Looked basically on par with their 0708 teams, uh, and then their 0809 team. They had a legitimate chance at uh, winning the cup, and then they ran into a buzzsaw, and that buzzsaw was the San, San Jose, Jose Sharks. Yep who started, that was kind of the start of the back-to-back years where the Sharks did a number to the Wings. 
Um, and so the Wings lose in seven games to the Sharks. Sharks end up losing in five to the Canucks, and the Canucks lose to the Bruins that year. But that team had a legitimate chance at uh, being something special. They won their division at 104 points, but they were still in the Western Conference at that point. Um, they were the third seed, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, and so they had a chance, and I think they could have been really, really good. But unfortunately, uh, you know, they just couldn't get past the Sharks. You played them really well in a seven-game series. To me, it's the 12-13 team. And I know that that wasn't maybe as quite as successful in the regular season. It was the lockout shortened year. Uh, but that's obviously the one that the Blackhawks, you know, come back and win that series in seven games, four to three, with that super thrilling game seven. Um, I, I just look back at that season and think, number one, it should have been perfectly set up for the Red Wings because a lockout shortened season really should have benefited the older team that was going to have a little bit less physical burden, right? You, you feel like your best players are 34-year-old Pavel Datsuk, 32-year-old Henrik Zetterberg, 32-year-old Nick Cronwall, uh, 33-year-old Johan Franzen still, still doing it at that point. Um, to me, that was a team, even if it maybe didn't have quite the same high-end star power, I think Lidstrom was still going uh, in that season that you mentioned, but uh, to me, that was a team that really should have gone a little bit farther than they did, and they really almost did. You know, Chicago, I think, won the Cup that year. I wonder if Detroit doesn't at least make it uh, if they win that series. Yeah, I mean, that's a series that you look back on and you say, that that was really frustrating that the Wings couldn't pull that out, because um, that was a team... I mean, they, they had the Blackhawks in the crosshairs, and that was a really, really good Blackhawks team. Like, when you're talking about best teams of the last 15 years, that 12-13 Blackhawks team is certainly up there, um, along with the 07-08 Wings and a couple of other versions of the Blackhawks. But, I mean, that was a really strong team, top to bottom. And they had them in the crosshairs. I mean, they had them up 3-1, to one, and they had three chances to knock them out. And then... You know, you'll never get this memory out of your head where that Brent Seabrook shot goes off Nick Cronwall past Jimmy Howard in Game 7, and the Blackhawks advance at that point. To me, though, that was a team that overachieved. I didn't think that team statistically was all that good, but the results they got were maybe a little bit better than what they actually were. And so I actually come away from that season as satisfied with how well they played because I didn't think they had any business... Uh, being competitive with the Blackhawks. In fact, I thought the Blackhawks were going to roll them, um, but they actually found a way to not only be competitive, but to you know push the Blackhawks a distance. They were the only team that pushed the Blackhawks a distance that year. Because uh, if you flash back to that season, the Blackhawks straight up dominated the league that year. Um, they were on, almost on a similar pace to what Tampa was last year. And so that that series on paper was not close, but the Wings, like I said, I think they really overachieved that season. Yeah, and that's a good point. It it probably speaks to, you know, maybe one of the deeper things about watching sports and how we understand what's going on in front of us is it's like a team that that overperforms and exceeds everybody's expectations – to me, that that sort of takes a place as like, hey, that's a great team. Like, look how look how good of a job they did, considering what they had. Maybe maybe that doesn't make them the best team though. It's just sort of the the best season or something like that. Yeah, and I'm gonna go back and correct my statement. The team that I was thinking of was not 10-11. It was 11-12. Okay. Uh, that Wings team was actually tops in the league in five on five Corsi four, second in expected goals. Uh, I mean, they had a plus one goal differential at five on five to give you an indication of how good that team was. They basically were outscoring their opponents 60 40, um, <laughs> for most of the season. And so, you know, that was, that was a really, really good team. And, you know, again, to rehash the playoffs that year, if 
I'm remembering correctly, that's the team that got down 3-0 to the Sharks. No, that's 10-11. Back with, that's 10-11? 11 lost to Nashville 4-1. 11-12 lost to Nashville 4-1. That's right. That's right. 11-12 lost to Nashville. So, yeah, that that was actually a real big bummer with that team not being able to to pull that one out. But, you know, that was still a really dominant statistical team. That was Lindstrom's last year. Um, you know, you, you were kind of hoping you could have gotten a little bit more out of them than you did, but ultimately that wasn't the case, but really probably the most dominant st- team the Wings had on paper, um, in this decade. Yep. I think that's definitely fair to say. All right. We'll get into the meat of it now, but I just wanted, I figured that was a good preface to kind of get the, the, the memories, the juices flowing here before we just dive right in, uh, to picking the all decade team. I think we're going to have pretty similar choices here I, I did file one that i have already forgotten who i put to the athletic i filed that like a week and a half ago so um but most of it i think is uh is no-brainer enough for me at least on the first team i did two teams so i think there's 11 total players when you include one goalie to the athletic today we're going to just work on a top five and maybe kind of hopefully we'll come to some kind of consensus i think we might have a couple points where we differ but uh we will certainly see do you want to kick it off and i'll give you the the floor on on the center discussion for the all-decade Red Wings team? Yeah, I think the center discussion, when you're looking at the players, and I'll kind of set out the rules that Max and I use to define our team because this can be a really ambiguous task. So what Max and I decided is we would only take players who played more than 100 games for the Wings this decade. We would do our best to maintain positional integrity, so we're not going to take Dylan Larkin and stick him on the wing because he's a center. And so we used our definitions of positions based on how Hockey Reference had him listed. So if Hockey Reference had him listed as a center and a winger, we'd put him on the winger. We didn't go so far as to say a player that was a left winger couldn't play on the right side or a player that was a left defenseman couldn't play on the right side. But for the most part, centers played center, wingers played winger. Um, And then like Max said, we took a, a goalie, two defensemen, and a forward line. So when it came down to center, I think your discussion here is you can either put Henrik Zetterberg in the center bucket because once Datsuk uh, moved on to Russia, um, Zetterberg took over a lot of center responsibilities. You have Dylan Larkin recently, and then you obviously have Pavel Datsuk um, in that center bucket. And for me, uh, I think Pavel Datsuk, and I'm going to say this, and I'm not even kidding, he is the best player of the last 25 years um, on the for- on the forward side of the puck. So... Uh, for me, it's a no-brainer. Even though we got the later part of his career here, he only had, I think, six seasons uh, in this sample. Um, he was still one of the most effective players in the NHL right up until his last season, even though his legs had left him. You know, he wasn't able to skate with the same ability. His stick handling was still marvelous. He was still one of the top statistical players in the NHL. Um, and no one... And I repeat, no no forward for me is better than him over the last 25 years. For the Red Wings or for the NHL? I'm talking about for the NHL. He is wow. the best forward in the last 25 years. Lofty praise. I don't know that I have a huge problem with. I think Sidney Crosby's unbelievable. Um, but, you know, that, when you look at Datsuk's overall impact, it's really hard to argue with a guy who was as offensively dynamic as he was. While maybe being, I mean, I think he's probably the best defensive forward in my lifetime. Yeah, I mean, it's not even close uh, for me. I mean, Bergeron's obviously the guy that you're going to put in the same bucket. And when I'm saying best forward of the last 25 years, I'm saying so to kind of exclude Gretzky, exclude Lemieux. Um, but basically after that, that's kind of where I'm leaning towards. And so for me, 
you know, his all-around game, he was just, there was just nobody better than him on both sides of the puck. Lofty praise. I'm not going to dispute it though. Um, and so, but either way, I think that makes him a no-brainer here. Like, I don't think, even if we are putting Zetterberg and Larkin in that category, um, Datsuk is getting the nod here at center for the Red Wings for the, for the 2010s. Uh, I will take it to left wing though, where I think people can probably guess the foreshadowing that we have put Henrik Zetterberg, uh, at left wing on this team and maybe the guy who, if not the number one player who represents this decade for the Red Wings, then he's one of the top two. I mean, he, he wore the C, he led the team, he had the famous, uh, post-game quotes as the team started to sort of slide into where they are now, uh, really became kind of a spokesman for the team in that way, um, and certainly wearing the C will, will do that automatically, but also managed to be just a stellar player well beyond when I think it would have been reasonably, reasonable to expect him to be that. So I, I think, Henrik Zetterberg, to me, is, is another no-brainer here at left wing. Yeah, I mean, it's very hard to disagree with Zetterberg in that spot. I mean, there's a lot of other players that you could potentially consider, but, you know, like you said, it's a no-brainer, and nothing really epitomizes him uh, more for me than it was, I can't remember the exact season, I want to say maybe 16-17 or 15-16, where the Wings, basically their playoff chances to extend that streak, come down to the last game, they're playing Dallas, and they need to win in order to get in. Zetterberg's the one who scores two goals that night uh, to make sure the Wings get a win, gets them into the playoffs, extends that streak. Nothing really embodies that Red Wings spirit better than Henrik Zetterberg in that game. No matter how old he got, he still found a way to be nearly a point-per-game player. I mean, the guy, I think, scored 70 points in his last season that he played, if I remember correctly. So he was just an excellent player, always overshadowed by Datsuk, but he was not all that he was not all that far behind. No, and I think like when I talk about like him in the locker room and stuff, I think he was the standard bearer of the culture for for a long time. And I know people got sick of that word as as the winning went away and sort of what that really meant. But I I think it means something. And I think the fact that Henrik Zetterberg sort of embodies that what where what how he battled through injuries. And I think you know dating back to was it the oh nine ten or the oh eight oh nine cup against Pittsburgh where he had the I guess it must have been 0809, sort of the Con Smythe shift. Um, to me, that's Henrik Zetterberg to a T. Absolutely. All right, now things will get a little trickier. We'll go to right wing. Uh, you can talk first. I don't think we agree here. Yeah. So now that we've taken care of the easy part, we put Datsuk and Zetterberg on the on the forward line. The the remaining forward spot is very interesting because you have a number of candidates here. Um, most notably, you'll probably think of Thomas Tatar and Gustav Nyquist, the two guys who were kind of tasked with carrying the mantle after Datsuk and Zetterberg. But beyond that, you now have the new wave of players. You have Anthony Manta, uh, who, even though he's a left shot, likes to play on his off wing, plays on the right side. You've got Andreas Athanasiu, who plays a fair bit um, on the wing as well. But then you can throw it all the way back to the beginning of the decade, and you you have to consider Johan Franzen. Um, you know, for me, as you dig into the numbers, you dig into the stats, there wasn't really a more dominant goal scorer for the Wings than Johan Franzen when he was able to stay healthy. Obviously, concussions derailed his career. He was not able to live up to the contract he signed um, in 08-09. And so, you know, there's kind of a sad piece to that and that he was not able to fulfill what he was um, basically signed to do with that big contract that he got but the guy was a dominant goal scorer you know highlights for me from this decade uh, you remember the wings are facing elimination 
I want to say this is 0910, so 2010 playoffs, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, wings are down 3 0 to the Sharks, and he's, he puts up four goals, uh, two assists in 15 minutes of ice time. Uh, just absolutely ridiculous effort. Um, you know, if you throw back to prior to this decade, uh, and you look at, again, the 2008 playoffs, um, he was on an absolute tear. He set the Wings record for most goals in a playoff series with nine, and he did it in a sweep. Um, and that's breaking a Gordie Howe record. So when he was on, when he was rolling, there was no better goal scorer for the Wings. And if you look at his on-ice impacts, the guy was right there with Henrik Zetterberg in terms of goals above replacement per 60 minutes, just looking at games in this decade. And so I think for me, I give him the slight edge over any of the other wingers, um, even though I'm throwing it back to kind of the early part of the decade. I hate disagreeing with you because I feel like you come, you know, armed and equipped with all these facts and stats and things that make me look like an idiot when I just come out here <laughs> and say something that's com- completely rooted in, uh, in gut feel. Because now I don't know how I make a case against it. That's a really... Really sound argument. I picked, I think I picked Gustav Nyquist for this when I filed. If I didn't, that's at least who I'm feeling like I'm going to pick right now. Um, I think, you know, the way that he came onto the scene in 2013-14, part of it, you know, obviously an incredible season. 28 goals, 20 assists at age 24, 50, 57 games. Got some heart votes and really his first full NHL season. Uh, and then he, he did not necessarily maintain that all the way. He declined a little bit, but it was still always a really solid top six forward. And I think that one of the things that adds to this is sort of this changing of the guard. And I think as much as picking just best players, Nyquist does sort of tell the story of the decade as the Red Wings try to shift from this era into a into a new kind of reload era um, that ultimately didn't work out. They end up trading him. The, the pick they got back, I think it's kind of fitting that they got another young, exciting Swede and Albert Johansson and the second-round pick they got from the Sharks. But uh, to me, it's Nyquist in part because he tells that story and in part because he had probably one of the best individual seasons of any Red Wing this decade in 2013-14. Yeah, I mean, his first season up, you he was legitimately being talked about as an MVP candidate because uh, for those that remember that season, that Wings team was really struggling to to kind of find offense, piece it together. And Nyquist didn't actually start the season up. He, he came up, and then he absolutely went on a tear where I think I want to say 28 goals, 57 points, and um, almost a point-per-game pace for him. Uh, and so he actually got legitimate MVP discussion and, at that season. Obviously never was able to live up to those lofty expectations, but that guy was kind of a human highlight reel before Athanasiu. He was almost good for some sort of highlight once every two or three games where he was going to find some way to score this electric, um, you know, goal that would just get the crowd right back into it. So, I don't really disagree. I think you could make a case for a handful of different forwards to kind of give you a statistical analysis of this here. So I've pulled up Evolving Hockey, uh, which is a website run by the Evolving Wild Twins. Um, and so they have a metric similar to baseball, for those of you familiar with war. They have something called goals above replacement. And so what we can look at as a different player's goals above replacement per 60 minutes of ice time. And so Johan Franz and the guy I picked comes in at 0.54 goals above replacement per 60 minutes. Um, Thomas Tatar comes in at 0.52 
and Gustav Nyquist is 0.49. So we're splitting hairs here when we're saying like which of those guys uh, would be the winger we would pick. Just for reference, Anthony Mantha is 0.48. Yuri Hoodler, another guy you can consider is 0.45. So none none of those guys are all that far off. Uh, from one another to say that there's some, you know, right answer here. I think either of them would be excellent choices. But to kind of go back and highlight how good Datsuk was, he's at 1.1. So he is double what any of those guys are that I just listed. And Zetterberg's actually at 0.51. So to just give you some sort of illustration of Datsuk's impact uh, relative to the other guys on his team. That is wild. Uh, let's get back to the safe territory where we agree, because I feel a lot less uh, on trial there. Uh, <laughs> we'll go to defense. I, I think I think we're going to agree here. Nicholas Litstrom, even though he only played really two seasons this decade for the Red Wings, has to be in there, partly because he won a frickin' Norris trophy in one of them. Yeah, I mean, Lindstrom, you know, he's only got two seasons in the sample, but he meets our criteria of more than 100 uh, games played. And so, obviously, you can't leave Nick Lindstrom off anytime you have the opportunity to select him even though we're talking about the literal last couple of years of a season. And even this, though this may be blasphemous to say, he didn't actually deserve that Norris that he won that last season. He did not have that good of a year. That was a reputation Norris. But all that being said, uh, you can't leave Nick Lindstrom off, uh, particularly when you think about who else you would replace him with. That's fine. But I like, you know, reputation Norris, I get that. But it's, you know, I still think at age 40, the fact that he won a Norris at, you know, age 40 with 62 points and gosh, did he ever finish outside of the top like 10 for the Norris since his like 25th birthday? I don't think he did. I, you know, I think like, so I get your point, maybe career Norris there, but I still think it tells a huge story about who the Red Wings uh, were under Nicholas Lidstrom. And it was a team with a guy that just defied all logic and, and reality. Yeah, I mean, he he was just outstanding. Obviously, the captain before Zetterberg, he meant everything to the team. He's he is one of the two or three best defensemen to ever play. So, yeah, you definitely can't leave him off here. But important to note that I I do think you're getting the last couple of seasons of his career where he maybe wasn't at the same world-beating level that he used to be. More than fair. Uh, on the flip side of that, a guy who maybe never quite got enough credit though for for what he was doing I, I think the other defenseman here has to be Nicholas Cronwall yeah I think that's also a no-brainer here I mean Nick Cronwall was um, largely overshadowed in the when the wings were back winning the Stanley Cup in 07 08 08 09 you know I think he could have made a compelling case that between probably 2009 and 2014 Nicholas Cronwall was one of the 10 best defensemen in the NHL uh you know, for statistically speaking, he was always up there in terms of goals above replacement, his impact on the ice. He was truly an outstanding defenseman. Obviously, as his knees broke down, his his body broke down, he wasn't able to keep up with the get the speed of the game with his feet. But you could always tell he was thinking the game ahead of everybody else. He still was the top defenseman in terms of exiting his zone with the puck. He still was always looking to make those heady plays, and that's why he got. Uh, placed in a lot of offensive-minded situations because he still thought the game better than anybody else Detroit had. Uh, for me, there's not really anybody else I'd really consider here, um, you know, besides having just Nick Cronwall in that spot. I agree. And then uh, the other position is goalie, where there is really only one candidate. Jimmy Howard pretty much had the crease the entire decade, other than those those couple seasons where Peter Mrazek, uh, you know, clawed at a little bit. 
Yeah, I mean, unless you're willing to really jump on Peter Mrazek uh, for his maybe two and a half seasons, where, to be fair, Mrazek had a great half season. That was probably the best half season of anybody for the Wings in net um, in this past decade. But, yeah, Jimmy Howard's a clear answer here. He had a number of great seasons, and in fact... Uh, in 2012-2013, I thought that was probably the best season of his career. He actually came sixth in Vezina voting that year, uh, made the All-Star game. Um, and so he should have, you know, he really, or sorry, not the All-Star game. He was ninth in terms of All-Star selection for the year-end All-Star team. But, um, you know, he should have gotten a little bit more credit, I think, in the early part of the 2000s when, you know, he really was a top-tier goaltender. Yep, and I think that's a no-brainer. Uh, that kind of does it. What do we think this team stacks up, though? Like in a league-wide sense, how would you uh, how would you think this all-decade team would do compared to some of the the challengers around the league? I mean, if we're saying that we're going to take this team at the median of their ability, so I'm what I'm saying is I'm not getting prime Datsuk, prime Lindstrom, prime Zetterberg. I'm getting them at the median of their abilities in this decade. You know, I think this is maybe a slightly above-average team. Um, I think Cronwall is obviously in in a pretty good spot for you. I think even Danzig and Zetterberg are still in a pretty good spot. I think Franzen's still in a pretty good spot. I think Lindstrom's still in a pretty good spot, but they're not probably the elite elite of the league. I'd say they're probably a ten to twelve team if I had to peg it. I think Boston, Tampa definitely are going to have cases here to, to to steal the show. San Jose, without question. I mean Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, no doubt. Chicago. L.A. If, you, if you're giving them the credit that they, you know, I, maybe maybe not on names, but that was a team of the of a decade in one sense, you know. Um, so I I gotta think, yeah, I think you're you're probably right. I think they're kind of back half of the top third would be my guess. But uh, we also don't know who who all these teams podcasters have chosen as their team of the decade, so it's uh, a little hard to tell. Yeah, I mean, for me, I'm probably placing Washington, Pittsburgh. Um, you know, probably, uh, Nashville is close to being up there. Tampa, San Jose, um, you know, LA, Chicago, you know, there's a handful of teams that are going to be right around there. So maybe 10 to 12 is a little harsh, maybe more like eight to 12, uh, somewhere in there. But yeah, I do think there's a handful of teams that probably have better, uh, candidates that would have better players in their prime, uh, in this last decade. Yep. Absolutely. I think that's all we got, though. I mean, that's a it's still a, uh, a really fun exercise to go back and think about the decade that was for the Red Wings. It does put some things in perspective, and I think uh, I think it, it tells you a little bit that, you know, in, in the bigger picture, this is still probably not going to be remembered as a disastrous decade for Detroit, although it will be one without a championship. Yep. All right. Uh, that'll do it for us, guys, and hopefully you've enjoyed it. And, and make sure you subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever else you listen. Review, rate if you are so inclined. And then if you liked what you heard today and you want to hear our all of our episodes, you can subscribe to The Athletic at theathletic.com slash wingsforbreakfast. We do midweek subscriber-only episodes every week. Uh, we'll always take listener questions, and we would love to hear from you. Thanks so much.